I'm very encouraged uh, by your presence. I know afternoon is always very difficult. Uh, I long to come, uh, although it's very challenging for me as well in my context as a caregiver to my wife, Constance. But I look forward to come. Uh, when I look at <coughs> Silas, during the weekday, he texted me and then we had certain common interests, enjoy football, so I always strike out conversation with him. Uh, I see some of you who are seated here that I've known for many, many years. Uh, in your situation, some are very difficult. You go through tough time, and yet every Sunday without fail, you are here seated. As I look at the text given to me, chapter 5, uh, <clears throat> although I would also like to look at chapter 4, verse 26, where it says that, uh, that God has granted me another child in place of Abel. That is in verse 25, when Adam lay with his wife and gave birth to a son and named him Seth. And then he said that uh, after Cain killed him, Seth also had a son and he named him Enosh. And at that time, man began to call on the name of the Lord. I did a bit of study and uh, I'm reflecting on, I asked the question, what does it mean by man began to call on the name of the Lord? That was the first time man, Seth and his children, begin to call on the name of the Lord. And of course, I also did a bit of study. Enosh, the name that Seth gave to his son, Enosh means weak, fragile, meaning that they live in a difficult time. Probably Seth and his family got some issue, and the son gave, gave it to the son, Enosh, and gave his name. Very few parents would give the name to their children. Eh? weak, fragile. So it does tell me about the background uh, difficulties that they, they were going through. As I say that, some of you have gone through hardship and difficulties too. Just as Seth and Enosh they, and the man in his generation call on the name of the Lord is talking about a visible public expression of their worship of God. So some scholars say that that was the first time where you see a group of people gather together in prayer, in praise and worship. So it, it is talking about a public worship. They, they call on the name of the Lord. Just as you seated here, uh, you look at the society afternoon, how many people gather together to call on the name of the Lord in prayer, in worship, and in praise? Call on the name of the Lord. So I'm encouraged as I look at you. Uh, I know you by name. I know some of you. Uh, in fact, I think I know most of you. Uh, the struggle you, you go through and yet you gather together week after week you are here seated and praising God. And so that's a great, great encouragement to me. During the week, I uh, look at chapter 5, Genesis chapter 5, 
was thinking why Pastor Micah gave me a very difficult chapter. I don't know whether he was testing me. It was quite depressing. Because if you look at the verse, I'm going to read to you, and you notice the reframe, the, the phrase that kept repeating and say, and then he died in verse 4, talking about Adam. And then in, 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 in Seth, and then he said, and then he died. Kept throughout, and then he died. So you imagine I was preparing the sermon, and then he died, and then he died. And then this morning, I noticed directly opposite my house, I know Mr. Tan, we have been there for 16 years already since I moved into that place. I know the family, I know Mr. Tan. And then suddenly I saw a group of people came with a van, setting up an awning, putting out tables. I already in, in, intuitively know something happened to the family. So I was talking to Sarah when she came to the house for lunch. I said, Sarah, I'm not sure whether Mr. Tan died or his wife, Mrs. Tan died. I think it's one of them. If we don't see Mrs. Mr. Tan came out from the house, then probably he died. Then later we saw the photo. It was his uh, wife, Miss, Mrs. Tan, who died. So it's a kind of depressing preparing sermon and then right in front of my house, a, go, uh, a, a neighbor whom I know, I've been sharing the gospel with him and he didn't want to believe. A very, very self-made man and then the wife died. Okay, I, I, I think I set the, the stage for you. Uh, because I think it is very important reading the Bible as a meta-narrative. That means the Bible needs to read as a unified whole. From Revelation to Genesis, you need to read. You know, the biblical theology shows us that the Bible is, uh, is coherent. And so, the, but the more difficult thing is to how do you locate your story in a meta-narrative. How do we put our story in that meta-narrative of what God is, God is doing? That is a challenge and I hope I can take you through today. Okay, let's look at chapter 5. I already read to you chapter 4 uh, about Seth and then gave birth to a son called Enosh, meaning weak and fragile. And then at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. And that has to be taken, taken into context. Chapter 5, it says, This is the written record account of Adam's line. So it's talking about Adam's genealogy. When God created man, He made him in the likeness of God. Uh, the one we have gone through in chapter Genesis 1 and 2 already. Uh, and uh, Dr. Leong also talked about the image. We are made in the image of God. That's why... With that creativity, like God, we can make cultures. We can also do civilization, start civilization, like uh, the descendants of Cain. Again, uh, Cain built the city, and then uh, seven generations later, Lamech, the children make culture, art, music, and then forge tools, make craft. Uh, you know, and and so you can see they started. Uh, civilization because they were made in the image of God. Even though Cain was an ungodly man, 
and his whole descendants were ungodly. Yet God's grace descended on them because God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. He created male and female and blessed them. That was before the fall of Adam and Eve. And when they were created, he called them men or humankind or mankind. But after the fall, when you read on verses 3 all the way to 32, verses 32, the image of God, that God made man in his image, that image although was spoiled or marred by sin, but the image was never taken away. We still, no matter how wicked men and women, they still have the likeness of God, the image of God, creativity. You know, they, they, they know what is right and wrong. And, and, and so that image of uh, able to relate, communicate, communicate to God, to one another, that image is still there, making culture, build civilization. And when Adam had lived 130 years, I think in our society, not many could live even up to 130 years. And Adam lived 130 years. He had a son in his own likeness, in his own image. That's why you have the terms called like father, like son. Uh, like son, like father, like son. And he had a son in the own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. And Seth was born. Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. That could explain uh, the the one or six million questions that people ask about where did Cain got his wife? So it obviously from uh, one of the sisters uh, born to Adam or it could be the, the descendants uh, of Adam. And so Adam lived 800 years and other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived 930 years and he died. 930 years is a long time. Uh, but yet he wasn't the, the, the one that lived the longest. In fact, Methuselah is the one that lived the longest as we would go on. And when Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. And after he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived 912 years. And then he died. <clears throat> when Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Canaan. And after he became the father of Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years <clears throat> and had other sons and daughters. And altogether, Enosh lived 905 years and then he died. When Canaan had lived 70 years, he became the father of Mahalalel. And after he became the father of Mahalalel, Canaan lived 840 years and had other sons and daughters. And altogether, Canaan lived 910 years and then he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he became the father of Jared. And after he became the father of Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Mahalalel lived 895 years and then he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. And after he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived 962 years and then he died. You notice the reframe? 
and then he died, and then he died, and then he died. You know, from Adam all the way until Jared, they live eight, nine hundred over years, and then he died. They have sons and daughters. Uh, God's grace, God bless them, uh, perpetuating their generation. They got sons and daughters, they continue uh, the image of God, procreation. And then they, they fulfill the mandate of God, be fruitful and multiply. And to subjugate uh, the, the, uh, the, 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 the earth and to rule the earth and they build civilization. And then in verse 21, for the first time, we see the pattern being broken. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, he did not say he had sons and daughters and then he died. He said, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God and then he was no more because God took him away. Good thing that the phrase say because God took him away. Because I was told someone say Enoch was having Alzheimer. He walked and walked and walked with God and then he was no more because he didn't know how to come back. But the phrase say that because God took him away. So that was the pattern that was broken. Enoch was taken away. He went into heaven. He did not die. And there are only two persons did not die. Enoch and Elijah. And of course, Jesus died and then he was resurrected. So the two persons did not die was Enoch and Elijah. So here Enoch walked with God and he was no more. And then in verse 25, he said, When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. And after he became the father of Lamech, this Lamech is different from the Lamech of the Cain's descendant. Uh, the seventh generation uh, uh, of uh, Cain, Cain the Lamech. And after he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Methuselah lived 969 years. Short of 31 years, he would have been 1,000 years old. Even that, he broke the record, the, the longest living um, uh, man at that time, Methuselah. And then he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years and had a son, he named him Noah and said, He will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands and cause, uh, caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. After Noah was born, Lamech lived 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Lamech lived 777 years and then he died. Uh, then the, the reframe came back, Methuselah, and then he died. Then Lamech, and then he died. After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And of course, he didn't say Noah died until you look at chapter 9. Now, so, what do I do with all this? And then he died. Pastor Micah, <laughs> I'm looking to you. So chapter 5, Genesis 5, we notice the name Seth and the son Enosh in chapter 4 verse 27, 26 say that they begin to call on the name of the Lord. Meaning that before that, they probably did not call on the name of the Lord. 
they probably that generation before that did not walk with God. And so when you look at the genealogy of uh, Adam through uh, uh, then Seth, the genealogy of Seth, these are the godly generation. Uh, both Enosh, Seth himself, and then you got Enoch who walked with God, and then uh, Noah who also walked with God. In chapter 6, uh, verse 9, uh, Elder Hamming is going to preach on that. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. All other uh, names did not, uh, uh, the author Moses did not mention much about them, but he singled out Enoch and Noah as godly men. So you can roughly take that chapter 5 is a godly line, godly generation, in contrast with chapter 4. So I would actually prefer chapter 4 and 5 together to preach as a sermon because chapter 4 is the ungodly line of Cain. But I need to go even further to chapter 3 that I preach in that context when, when serpent, that is Satan, deceived Eve and caused Eve to disobey God and then God Adam to also disobey God. And then God pronounced the judgment on the serpent, on Satan, and then made the prophecy. And in, in chapter 3, if you look at verse four, uh, 15, um, when in verse 14, God said, Cursed are you, refer to serpent above all the livestock. And then I do not need to go, go back again to say that the serpent is Satan. <clears throat> and verse 15, God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, meaning between Satan and Eve. And between your offspring, mean the seed of Satan, of course, Satan cannot reproduce. It would mean the demons. It would also mean the agents or the people that Satan is going to take along, deceive them, and to rebel against God. So I will put enmity between you and you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, or between your seed, singular, and her seed, singular. <clears throat> and he will crush your head and you will strike, strike his heel. So Adam and Eve, huh, when they give birth to uh, Cain and Abel, they say, will this be the seed? Will this be the offspring that God prophesies is going to crush the head of the serpent? Will this be the seed? And of course, when we read this all the way, push it further onwards until Luke chapter 3. Uh, you will see the genealogy of Jesus tracing all the way to Adam. Then you see the genealogy of Seth reappeared. But the genealogy of Cain was dropped, disappeared. So the ungodly line dropped and then the godly line continued on where the Messiah will come. So there is a Chapter 4 and chapter 5 is actually, you can see the playing out of the prophecy of Genesis chapter 3 and 15. So Genesis 3 to 15 is the first gospel, the proto-evangelion, 
meaning that it's the first gospel that the promise of the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the Satan. And we know that this happened when Jesus was crucified on the cross and then he disarmed the principalities of the rulers of the air and then God raised him, resurrected him and then he ascended and exalted to the highest, highest heaven and seated at the right hand of God. So you, you can see the first gospel being proclaimed. And so the playing out between the ungodly line and the godly line. So my question is now, how do I put my story in the meta-narrative? It is simple as that. Do you follow the line of Cain? Have you been deceived by Satan and rebel against God? And if you do, then you belong to the line of Cain. And so your genealogy will be dropped. You are not part of this genealogy. Whereas if you follow Christ, of course we live now after Christ really accomplished the work of redemption. He crushed the head of, uh, of uh, Satan. But during the time, Seth generation, they were all working out the redemptive plan of God. The Messiah has not come. So when Cain murdered his brother Abel, and then he was exiled, Adam and Eve overnight lost two sons, Cain and Abel. So where is the seed that is going to crush the head of Satan? Cain's generation, you notice that Cain's generation, they achieved great things. But they were not chosen by God to be the seed of the woman that would crush the head of Satan or the serpent. Now you notice Cain's generation, uh, Dr. Leong already mentioned, uh, the seventh generation after Adam from the line of Cain, Lamech. Lamech was a very arrogant man. You know, he, 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 uh, he I think the verse here, Lamech, let me see uh, the verse, I'm trying to look for it. Lamech was actually boasting, after, uh, 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 talking to the two, two wives, uh, Ada and, uh, and Zillah. Uh, and, um, and he was actually composing a poems. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. Uh, you, you look at the, the arrogant, and he married two wives. He violated uh, the monogamy, the covenant of marriage that God gave to Adam and Eve. And, and then you, his descendant, uh, Lamech, have uh, Jabal and Jubal, uh, they, they make cultures and they, they started civilization. I would say that they, they achieve great things. If at all, I would expect probably that most people would think that God would choose Cain and Cain's line to be the seed of the woman that would crush Satan to be chosen by God. You know, today we look at society uh, like Cain built a city, name it Enoch. And then you got the Petronas Twin Tower, uh, named after so and so. You have Dewan Wisma Tansri Jeffrey Cha, founder and chairman of the Sunway Group, one of Malaysia's largest conglomerate. And in our society, you have many Chinese tycoon. You know, they are building name after them. Uh, it's about human achievement. 
you look at the human achievement, you notice that Cain's line, including Cain himself, they were ungodly. They were focused on their self, glorification of self, very much like the society, uh, 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 the, 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 the glorification, self-glorification, great achievement. Now, Augustine wrote a book called City of God. Uh, you can actually still get, get the, the book in a, in a uh, uh, Google internet. You, I think, can download. Uh, he, Augustine said that the whole human race live in one of two cities or live in one of two cultures, an earthly one or a heavenly one. One regards the love of God over the love of self or the other uh, the, the regards the love of self over the love of God. There's no middle ground. Either you love God or you hate God or you love self. Either you glorify God or you glorify self. There's no in-between. So which story do you live? Cain and his descendants achieved great things, but they were the godless generation. And that genealogy was dropped. When you read on all the way to the New Testament, they were not chosen. But this chapter 5 prepares us for chapter 6 all the way up to chapter 12. Because Noah was mentioned, Noah has three children, Ham, Shem, uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Abraham came from the line of Shem. And from Abraham, all the way you could see Messiah came from Abraham. When you, when you look at the genealogy in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3. So in chapter 4, we see the writer is showing us this ungodly line and the enmity between uh, the seed of serpent and the seed of the woman will play out in also chapter 6. The seed of the serpent, people who are deceived by Satan will follow Satan and rebel against God and will corrupt the godly line until chapter 6. When you read chapter 6, you can see the intermarriage. It will corrupt the godly line. They will continue to, to distort the, the plan of God. They will rebel against God. So chapter 5, when you see the contrast, I think that you notice that in chapter 5, not a single person from the descendants of Seth has any outstanding human achievement. They never, the author never say, you know, one of the descendants of Seth was a, a, a music director or is an art director, you know, painted great paintings like uh, Vincent van Gogh. Nothing, no culture making, no civilization making, nothing. They're very ordinary people. But the author only mentioned about, about uh, uh, Enoch walking with God. Enoch walking with God. And then Noah, blameless and righteous and, and walking with God. So, so you are talking about chapter 4, Cain is a godless generation, yet achieved great things. Of course, it's the common grace of God, the image of God in them. They were able to build civilization, build cultures. But God doesn't look at this thing and impress because they were godless. And this 
group, this generation of Seth are very ordinary. Nothing to talk about except they live very long lives. The only they can boast is that I live 965 years. That's a Guinness Book of Record. But I don't think Methuselah boasts about that. But nothing much. So which group are you in? You ask yourself that. So we, we see here, um, let me backtrack a little bit uh, to talk about the earlier, uh, the reframe, and then he died, and then he died, the partner. Is the writer is actually talking about the universal death. Uh, from Adam all the way to the 10th generation, all ended in the grave except uh, Enoch, uh, except Enoch. And, uh, and, and the hope of the woman's seed would crush the serpent head is kept alive despite the inevitable death. Not every generation mentioned the key person and then he died. But he has sons and daughters and then perpetuate. And then the next generation, so and so, he has sons and daughters and then he died. So you can see the continuation, the grace of God uh, preserving the godly line of Seth and the hope of the woman's seed would crush the serpent head is kept alive despite the inevitable death. Uh, death reigned, but God's grace reigned even more. Uh, sin abound, but grace of God abound. Uh, that is uh, New Testament theology, but in the Old Testament, we see the same thing. So now we, we look at, I want to look at the two person in detail, and then I'll bring my sermon to a close. Enoch broke the pattern of the genealogy, he did not die. Uh, chapter 5, verse, uh, 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 you look at the Enoch, uh, verse 2021. 20, uh, he escaped death. The distinctive of Enoch's life is that he walked with God, he walked with God for 300 years. And he said at age 65, something happened to him so that he walked with God in the next 300 years. Now, what, what, what happened to him? Here it did not say, except that we have a clue here that he named his son Methuselah. Uh, he named his son Methuselah. Methuselah at the age of 65, uh, he, he had a son called Methuselah. Methuselah means his death to bring. His death to bring. Or when he is dead, it shall be sent. Now, I don't have the knowledge to understand except I have to check and read commentary and check some uh, scholars and, 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 uh, and, and, and to find out the meaning. And basically, the scholar is saying that perhaps God might have revealed to Enoch that when Methuselah is about to die and then the great flood will come. The great flood will come. So Methuselah when he died, and then the flood will come. Actually, this thing actually happened. So he could have been in his communion with God because he's close with God, he walked with God. He speaks about intimacy, close fellowship with God, and God might have spoken to him. So he named his son Methuselah. He's dead to bring, or when he's dead, it shall be sent. That means the flood will come. God is going to, to, to wipe out the world. 
And so, at that point of time, at the age of 65, Methuselah began to walk with God for 300 years. He walked with God for 300 years. We are talking about consistency of that, that walk of discipleship. The walk of discipleship, 300 years of uh, commitment to God, obedience, and of course, when you read uh, Hebrew chapter, uh, it talk about by faith, Enoch, you know, by faith. Uh, so we are talking about a man who has a faith. He believed the word of God, what God say, so he reorganizes his life in accordance to what God has spoken to him. So he lived a life of faith. He lived a life of close fellowship, of intimacy with God. He lived a life of surrendering, humility, pleasing to God, and a life of discipleship. Now, I want to quote, uh, uh, or rather to, to, to talk about this book that I read a long time ago. Let me check what I wrote here. Uh, it's Eugene Peterson. Uh, where did I write that? Trying to find. Okay, Eugene Peterson is a pastor that I greatly admired. He only wants to pastor a church with 300 people. And he said, why I, I do so? Because I want to remember every name. I want to know everyone. I pray for everyone. So I only pastor a church with 300 people. He's a great pastor. He already passed away. He wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. What is this same direction? Meaning, a long obedience in the path of God. It is a theme of discipleship and the journey of a believer towards a deeper relationship with God. So the title comes from a quote by this famous uh, philosopher, Friedrich Nietzsche. Uh, he said that the, he actually took it from the quotation of this Friedrich Nietzsche. The essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. So which is actually what chapter 5 is all about. When you look at the generation of sad, godly, godly people are people who are actually walking with God in the same direction. Meaning that they, they constantly commit their lives to God and obey God. So Peterson argues that true discipleship, here chapter 5, uh, met, uh, uh, Enoch's life is a true disciple. Uh, is a, uh, the true discipleship is a lifelong journey. Here, here Enoch, what we got for 300 years. We are not talking about a Christian. I feel like coming to church this Sunday. Then after that, I don't want to come to church already. I feel like I can be a Christian for only a few years. After that, I cannot already. Too hard. Being a Christian is too hard. So discipleship, true discipleship is a lifelong journey that requires commitment. Commitment to who? Commitment to God. Commitment to us is a commitment to God, our relationship with Him. Hold on to the promises that He had. Our commitment to the gospel. Commitment to the cause of God. Perseverance. Resilience. So when you have problem in your life, don't walk out of God. Walk right into the presence of God. That is called a long obedience in the same direction. When you have marriage problem, don't walk out of your wife. 
or wife don't walk out with your husband. When you have a problem in the family, your son or your daughter who are wavered or, or rebel against God, don't disown them. Don't give up on them. Keep going on. Keep committing yourself to God. A lifelong journey that requires perseverance and a willingness to obey God's commandment even when it is difficult. And so Eugene discusses the challenges that believers face, such as the temptation to take shortcuts and pursue worldly success. So in chapter 5, as I said, the people, nothing much to shout about compared to Jabal, Jubal, and Tubal Cain. They don't make culture, nothing to boast about in their life. Enoch only walked with God for 300 years. A consistent walk. So, church, let me tell you that long lives, uh, uh, for the Chinese culture, we, we extol long lives. That's why when we celebrate birthday, people invite me, uh, I go to the restaurant, and even Christian will order the, the, the certain noodles, longevity noodles. Must be longevity noodles. The longer, the better, because they want to live long life. Of course, everybody wants to live long life. But living long life, uh, like Methuselah, 965 years, if you just live and just exist without walking with God, it's no use. It is not the length of years that matters, but the quality of life with God. There are people, Christians or disciples of Christ, who live only up to the age of 30. But the thing they achieve for God, that God used them, far exceed other people who may live 120 years. So the length of years does not matter. The question, do you walk with God? Do we live a life of faith? Perhaps long life is not the greatest blessing that one can experience to be elevated into... Uh, 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 long life is not the greatest blessing that one should uh, uh, continue to look for. Rather, to look for that kind of life of intimacy with God and being used by God. To be elevated into God's presence is better. You know, like, like uh, Enoch who walked with God. And, uh, and walk into the presence of God. He had that intimacy with God. But of course, I want to say this. It does not mean that everyone who walks with God will escape death. Huh? Already you see in chapter 5, uh, the universality of death. Everyone will die. Except uh, Enoch, somehow God used him as an example maybe to show us of the hope uh, of eternal life, that uh, death has, does not have the final word. So God put that there in the scripture so that we can locate our story to see that there is a hope for those who walk with God. But it doesn't, know, doesn't mean that those who walk with God will not die. But it simply means that everyone who walks with God will experience the same kind of life in this life uh, uh, and, and also in the next, and the implication is that there is spiritual life which extends 
beyond this life uh, after death. Death does not have the final word. So in this life, you can have, when you walk with God, you have that kind of communion with God of the intimacy and the closeness and the fellowship that is far better than human achievement than without God. In fact, chapter 4, I, I, when I read chapter 4, I look at what people in a society, I fear for people. Because chapter 4 talks about human achievement without God, without the help of God. And so people have the delusion to think that I can achieve great things, I can be successful without God. That is true. But without God into eternity, that is most tragic. I'd rather live in the chapter 5, in the genealogy of Seth, in a, in a, in a pattern of uh, Enoch, walking with God, pleasing God, surrendering to God. Okay, now we come to uh, Noah, the second person singled out in chapter 5. And Noah, when he was born, the father Lamech gave him, gave him the name. He will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. And so, the father, uh, when the father gave the name, uh, obviously, he had something in mind. Uh, Lamech. This Lamech is different from the Lamech in Cain's generation. Uh. <clears throat> now, what is significant about this name Noah given by Lamech to his son is that people might be looking for someone to be born from the seed of the woman who will deliver them from the curse of the fall. <clears throat> because God cursed the ground after Adam sinned. So they were toiling, uh, they, they worked so hard, and then the, the, the ground only uh, produced stone and diesel. Uh, life must be very hard. Uh, they don't have that kind of rest. I think the rest here also perhaps have a dual meaning. One is physical, one is spiritual. Are people looking for that kind of rest? Resting means accepted by God. Resting in, in the gospel. Resting in Christ. In the knowledge that God accepts us. Rather than to know that God is cursing the, the ground. And life has been hard. So Noah's, the father gave him the name is in anticipation of the comfort that Noah would bring. Uh, by building an ark and saving the human race or the comfort of starting a new creation I don't know what it is but likely it can be that but simply mean that Lamech and his generation looking to, to Noah uh, giving the name in anticipation wanting God to really through him to bring rest uh, rest from the toilsome labour and all this of course we know that Noah foreshadows Christ who will bring the true rest. True rest is in Christ. But in some sense, Noah is used by God to bring relief. And yet Noah is not the one promised in Genesis 3 verse 15, who will crush the head of the serpent. Noah is not the one who ultimately brings true rest, but he points towards Christ who will bring the true rest. Let me close by uh, telling a story of Hudson Taylor. 
Now you may think that what has this got to do with me? Pastor, you talk about definitely you contrasted between the ungodly generation and the godly generation. And you asked us to put a story in that story of Seth and the godly line. But you notice in the story of the godly, godly line, there is always a decision made, either naming the son or a decision like Enoch made, decided, I'm going to walk with God. And that changed the whole, whole trajectory of his future generation. And that, that profound impact upon the future generation because of one decision you made. And then the repetitive lifestyle of discipleship, of uh, long obedience in the same direction. There is this book uh, written by Huxon Taylor. Uh, the, not the original uh, Huxon Taylor who went to China, but his great-grandson, uh, uh, Huxon Taylor, uh, who is the seventh uh, general director of the OMF, Operation Mobilization uh, uh, OMF, uh, OMF, Operation uh, uh, Fellowship. The story of God's faithfulness to nine generations. He was talking about his great-grandfather, uh, who was the contemporary of uh, uh, this uh, uh, Methodist uh, evangelist uh, uh, Wesley. And um, when, when his great-grandfather, James Taylor, Huxon Taylor, he was a non-Christian. Then he became a Christian and he was preparing himself to go to China. And then he was interned to be a doctor and then the doctor did not pay him money. But he did not want to talk to the doctor. He prayed to God and that God will remind the doctor to give him, to pay him the salary. He wanted to, to trust God to do that because he said, I'm going to go to China away from my, my, my people, my parents and my, my friends. And I'm going to a, a hidden land. I got to depend on God totally. So he learned to walk with God. He, he learned to walk with God. Then one day, he was asked to go to a house uh, to help um, a young man's wife who was sick. And then the place was a dangerous place and he actually beginning, he didn't want, want to go. And then he decided to go. When he went there, and then he had one, one coin in his pocket, a half crown. I don't know how much is that half crown, maybe nothing much. Because the woman needed medicine, you know, to buy medicine. And the man could not pay. Huxon knew that he had to give him the half crown. But it was all that he had left. But he struggling with God. And then he, he became super spiritual. He told God, uh, let me, he told the young man, let me pray for your wife. And then God spoke to him. And said, if you can't trust me in England... When your family and friends are so near, how will you ever be able to trust me in China when they are thousands of miles away? You know, when you are thousands of miles away or when they are also thousands of miles away from you. And so Huxon Taylor drew out the half crown and then he gave to the young man and, he, and then he went home. And that night he slept like a baby. And then in the book, the story says that next morning, the landlady knocked at the, at the door and envelope had arrived and then he opened up, it was 10 times the sum that he had given to save the woman's life. 
and then he made this statement, Huxon Taylor, God's bank is not like the banks on earth. Overnight, he, then he said, overnight, uh, I not only return, uh, not overnight, not only God returned the principal, the money I gave to the woman, but multiplied the interest. He was basically talking about his uh, experience with God, walking with God. He was walking with God. And then this uh, Huxon Taylor, I think it was Huxon Taylor uh, the third. He was talking about his great grandfather. Then he talked about his grand, uh, great uh, uh, grandfather, uh, Herbert Huxon Taylor. When Herbert Huxon Taylor was at the age of twenty, he was doing medical study, and then he did not finish. He set up the first ever school for missionary children called Chifu School. We had a Chifu School in Cameron Island, but this one was in China. And then he said that his grandfather and grandmother served uh, a God in the inland China for 50 years, walking with God. And then when the, the, the war came, when the Pearl Harbor was attacked by Japan, Japan, Japanese, and the grandfather was interned, and the whole of the Chifu school uh, for three years was under the, uh, the, the uh, Japanese soldiers' uh, supervision. And in the concentration camp, Early each morning, Huxon Taylor III, he was only a very young boy. He said, I heard my grandfather singing, saying, Courage, brother, do not stumble. Though the path be dark as night, there's a star to guide the humble. Trust in God and do the right. Then he went on uh, to talk about the time during the Second World War when he himself was also in the concentration camp and then his own father uh, bought the ticket, wanted to take the family back to the United States. And then, this is not talking about Herbert Eddy, eh? uh, Jim, uh, Jim Huxon, the tailor the third, was talking his uh, uh, father. Uh, I think it's a Huxon Taylor the second. Huxon Taylor the second. So you got the great grandfather Huxon Taylor, then Herbert Taylor, then you got Huxon Taylor the second, and this is Huxon Taylor the third who wrote the book. And then he was talking about his father who bought the ticket, and then the father told him, "Come with me to the uh, to the shipping office." And then he talked he talked to the uh, father. He said, "Father, are we getting ready to leave for for the states?" And then the father said, "No, uh, I'm going to cancel the ticket." And then Huxon Taylor was shocked that the father decided to cancel the ticket. And the parents sailed north to Tianjiang. They went back into the interior while the children, Huxon Taylor, the third, and the sibling, they were in the concentration camp and then later released. And they were looked after by Eric Liddell, the runner, the Olympic runner. And Eric Liddell became the surrogate father. And they were separated from the family for five and a half years. You look at the sacrifices uh, uh, the, the, the parents made. Uh, they were willing to serve God in the interior and they, they were there for five and a half years. And then Huxon Taylor uh, the third, he started the, the seminary, the China Evangelical Seminary in Taiwan. He established that, uh, helping to establish that seminary. And thousands of university graduates and, and many lay professionals were trained in a seminary and began to impact Taiwan and China. And Huxon Taylor III, his son is Huxon Taylor IV, 
who also serving OMF. Uh, every generation serving God and walking with God and greatly used by God. And he said that, he wrote the book ending by saying that Huxon Taylor, the great-grandfather, the, the third three generation before, and then after him, the sixth generation, uh, every generation serving God, walking with God. He said, God has been faithful to the ninth generation. And all began with one person who decided to walk with God. So don't underestimate when you decided to follow Christ and walk with Christ. And you, your story is locking into the story of the godly generation of Seth. Number of years ago, I went to China. I went to Fujian. Uh, I don't want to go into the story uh, in detail, except to say that it was a miracle that I found my father's uh, generation. Went into that village, Fujian province, they have this building, Tuloa, you know, the Tulo, uh, famous round oval shaped building. And uh, my, my, my father's uh, uh, generation, and they were living in a, in a house that they built. And then, of course, we compare notes and discover that uh, uh, my grandfather left the village, came to China, and stayed in the northern uh, part of uh, Malaysia. And then my father was born in, uh, in uh, Kedah. Then I was born. And then they show me the genealogy. And then I discover, oh, I was the 26th generation. So I told them, I'm a pastor. And then they, they were surprised. I said, I'm a Christian. I'm also a pastor. They said, oh, you are the first Christian. In our 26th generation, you are the first Christian. Wow. I made that decision to follow Christ. My ancestor, none of them is a Christian. I am the only Christian. I became a pastor. And then my two sisters became Christians. My mother became Christian. I look at my, my relatives, one after another, they became Christian. So one decision is going to affect a lot of people. So Genesis 5 contrasts with Genesis chapter 4, but they play out the story of the enmity between the seed of Satan and the seed of the woman. Uh, uh, between Satan and between the generation, godly generation of the woman and culminating to the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so my question as I end the story, the sermon, where would you like to locate your story? Christ has already come and we need to walk in the obedience, in the long obedience, in the same direction, walking in the path of God. And like Enoch, we look towards Christ coming. And if you are still alive, Christ come, we will be translated in the mid-air to meet with Christ, and then we will not die. We'll be translated into the presence of God. But if we do die before Christ come, then we are waiting for our resurrection and then we will have eternal life. We will still die like the many generations of Adam and Eve, live 80 years, 70 years, 45 years, whatever years, have sons and daughters, and then we died. But God's grace to preserve one generation to another, and then the godly influence will continue on and participating in the redemptive work of God. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you that your word, every word is inspired by you for our edification. Lord, how wonderful is even Genesis chapter 5. When I first began preparing the sermon, it was so depressing that uh, every generation ended up in grave. They died. And yet, the bright hope of seeing Enoch and Noah and although none of those uh, achieved great things by human standard, and yet everyone centered their life on God. It is a God-centered life. They live life obedience to you and thereby glorifying to you as contrast to Cain's generation. Lord, we do not want to be deceived by Satan and to rebel against you. So help us as we put our trust in you and walk the path of discipleship in a long obedience uh, in the same direction just as Eugene Peterson said this we pray in Jesus name